So we're week 18 into the book of Philippians, and it has been quite the journey. I've loved it because it's challenged me to look at the scope of God's Word, and not just find verses that I like and appreciate, but it's allowed us to look at every little nuance and every little uh, kind of piece of God's Word in context. And we've seen all kinds of things. We've looked from the picture of the call of humility and the call of, of kind of a unity mission of the church uh, from the beginning of the letter to this sort of deep theological move that Paul does towards the end of the letter, and we've looked at everything in between. But we've begun this conclusion, we're going to be wrapping up in the next few weeks, and Paul has sort of challenged the Philippians, moved into this sort of, and this is how your belief in God should affect how you live phase of this letter, where our theology moves from being, being simply cerebral, something that we think about God, to how it affects the way that we live. And so Paul is in this section challenging the Philippians to have a deep-rooted theology that impacts the way that they live their everyday life, which is ultimately the call for us as followers of Christ, that our belief and understanding in who God is would ultimately impact the way that we live. And last week we explored, I really kind of put it in two parts, and this is the second week of what we explored last week, these sort of four calls or mandates or commands, if you will, whatever word you want to use, that Paul gives the church as he's closing this letter. He gives him four specific calls. And we looked at the first two last week. And the first one was cultivate a life of joy. And we talked about the call for us to live in joy, the difference between joy and happiness, and the work that it takes to live a life that says, God, I want to rejoice in you. He also gave the second call, which was I said was live gently. The verse there is let your gentleness be evident to all. We talked about a life of gentleness and how we love people and the expression of that is. And, and so we, we did those two commands. And we're going to explore the next two this morning. So if you've got your Bible, what I want you to do is open up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 4 through 7 this morning. Before we read it, I want you to keep two things in the back of your mind. The first thing I want you to keep in the back of your mind is that these two verses that we're going to explore, 6 and 7, are connected to 4 and 5. Okay, so they are the second part of that. I don't want you to miss that. We talked about uh, living a life of joy, cultivating a life of joy, living gentleness. Those are the first two of four, and I'm going to try and sew them all together at the very end of this this morning. But I want you to remember that. These aren't two more isolated things. These are all in concert. And I also want you to remember that these four things are in concert with verses 2 and 3. Now, you've got to remember, two weeks ago, we talked about 2 and 3, as Paul called these two women in the church that were having broken relationships with one another to live in gospel forgiveness and reconciliation. And we talked about the concept of forgiveness and reconciliation. These four commands that we've explored last week and the two we're going to explore this week are directly connected to the call to gospel forgiveness and reconciliation. So these aren't separate things. Paul is doing this amazing work as a picture, as a reflection of a bigger kind of movement in his letter. And these things we're going to look at are not isolated. They're not Hallmark kind of card-looking things where I like that and this. They are intricately connected to deep things. Coming on the heels of the call for gospel forgiveness and, and reconciliation, Paul gives the church four things to live by. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to so Philippians chapter 4, and we'll sort of dive in there um, together. Before we open it up and read, let's just take a moment and just ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even to dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. Father, we pray that as we open your word, uh, Father, you would teach us. Your word needs no explanation. It certainly doesn't need mine. So, Father, I pray that your word would stand alone and that you would speak directly to us this morning. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to teach you something. Just say, God, teach me something this morning. Just whisper that in your heart. 
Something simple like that. Take a moment and pray for someone around you. I say this each time we do this. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Find joy in praying for someone around you. Take a moment and pray for them. God, we ask that you would teach us this morning through your word. Um, Father, that you would reveal truth to us, that we can't discover you. We know that, but you reveal yourself to us. And so, God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as often as often is the case, almost every week actually is the case, what you are going to receive is what God is teaching me. It just sort of always works that way. What God is teaching my heart is basically what I get to share with you. So these aren't things that I've conquered and now I'm passing on to you with all of my wisdom. These are things that God is actually actively doing and challenging me to. And it's convicting and it's heartbreaking and They're powerful, and so I want you to hear these things that come out today as being very personal, because I believe that God wants to deal with us on this very personal kind of level. So let's take a look at these four verses. I'm going to read them together so you can hear the ones that we talked about last week in concert with our ones from this week, and then we'll unpack the next two commands together. This is where Paul starts in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So last week, rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This week, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we're looking at two new calls today that are attached to the calls from last week. Rejoice and and live gently. All right. The first call that we see is is don't be anxious about anything. There's not even a really good way to sort of doctor up that command. I mean, it is just there. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, like last week, I think these kind of calls that we're going to see this week are very personal. And they're very personal because they apply to very deep personal parts of our life. Because the idea of worrying or anxiety, is, to me, is a very personal thing. Because it's where I begin to name my trust issues with the Lord. So when I think about having a, a life that worries, or a life that lives in anxiety, and those words can be used interchangeably, and I'll show you how in just a moment. But when I think about living a life like that, I'm beginning to name my specific trust issue with the Lord. On some level, we can say, God, I, I need to trust you more. But what does that really mean? But when I begin to worry about my life, about my marriage, about my finances, about my children, about my things or whatever it is that I can't control, when I begin to worry and let that seek into my life, create anxiety in me, I begin to name what it is that I don't fully trust the Lord with, what it is my control issue is. And when I begin to do that, things get very personal. And because it's very personal, we don't share those very often with other people. And because we don't share them, a lot of times we don't deal with them. And so worry and anxiety is something that simply simmers under the surface of our life. And so we pretend sometimes it's not there, it's not that big a deal. But what I want you to understand this morning is that the single greatest obstacle to a life of joy and a life of peace is a worrying or anxious mind. I want you to take it that seriously because it's a command that we are called to listen to. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. Now the word there in the Greek... 
that we get the word anxiety or the word anxious from is the word marimneo. And it's a really fascinating word because it takes two Greek words and it shoves them together. All right. The first word is divided and the second word is mind. And the word marimneo is made up of those two words and they're shoved together and they basically translates as divided mind. It's where we get the English kind of translation of worry or anxiety or concern. That kind of mentality comes from a divided mind. That's really what that Greek word translates out as. This sort of divided, anxious, worrying mind. Meaning my mind is split. Now what's even more kind of, in, kind of interesting to me is that every time in the New Testament that the word marimneo is used, it's usually associated with something spiritual. What that means is that worrying or anxiety is tied to spiritually broken or divided minds. What that means is that when we live in a life, of, when we live a life of worry and anxiety, we're living in spiritual brokenness. I'm not fully trusting all that God has for me. My mind is divided spiritually, divided on what I can do and what I can control versus what God can do and what God can control. And when I worry, I'm living in spiritual sort of dividedness, spiritual brokenness. I want you to think about it in those terms. I want it to be that significant that when I let worry and anxiety creep its way into my life, I'm living in spiritual brokenness. Now, there's a lot of evidence in this for Scripture, but there's two kind of pieces I want you to see that I think really make it stand out on why it's actually a state of spiritual brokenness. The first one is because worry is disobedient. It's disobedience. Now, we know that because Paul just told us not to do it, right? So if we do it, we engage in it, we're being disobedient. But not just Paul, Jesus himself says it. Matthew chapter 6 is filled with Jesus saying, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about today. Over and over again on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving instruction to disciples. He's calling people not to worry because God is bigger. So if Jesus and Paul are telling us not to worry and we worry, we are living in disobedience. And you want to know what disobedience is? Disobedience is sin. There's no way to sugarcoat it. When we live in active disobedience to God, we are living in active sin. Now, a lot of us don't think of worrying in those terms because, after all, it's not that big. It's not like I murdered someone or not like I'm living some kind of crazy, awful lifestyle or I'm selling drugs on the corner or whatever those awful things that we are would categorize disobedient sin. Disobedience is living in any opposition to what God has for me. And when God calls me to do something and I don't do it, I live over here, I'm living in disobedience. When I began to realize this, it began to break my heart because I allow worry and anxiety to creep into my life all the time. Because for me, worry and anxiety is about control. It's about me wrestling with God for control over the things in my life. And when I live in worry, when I live in anxiety, when I'm worrisome, I'm living in active disobedience and I'm living in active sin. Worry is disobedience. Marimneo is disobedience, spiritually divided, broken mind. The second thing that we know about worry is that worry is unbelief. Now, you may not put those things together because when I worry, I actually still believe God is very real. God is very real. I don't question that at all. I'm not talking about big, broad belief. What I'm talking about belief in terms of the belief that God is able to accomplish what he says he will, the trust in God's promises. God's promise is to protect and provide and care for and to be everything I need. When I worry, basically I'm saying, God, I don't believe you're big enough to do the things you say you do. That's what I'm telling God. God, you promised to never fail me, never, never leave me, never forsake me. Yet when I'm worried about what happens in my life, 
I'm basically saying, God, I don't believe you're big enough to do it. When we live in active worry and anxiety, when we allow this marimneo, this, this sort of spiritually divided mindset to enter our lives, we're saying, God, I don't believe you are big enough to take care of all of my life. So I'm going to fret and worry and struggle and wrestle with this area. Worry is spiritual brokenness. It's disobedience and it's living in unbelief. Now, a lot of us don't categorize it that way because he's got our pretty little categories of sin. And there's all the small things, like a little lie I told to my husband or my wife over here about this and the little thing that we did over here. And it's not really that big a deal because it doesn't affect anything. And there's a middle category that I know I shouldn't do, but I kind of engage in. It's so I always need to ask forgiveness of. And there's a big category over here that, like, other people do, right? Like, you know, adultery and murder and all those things that I would, of course, never engage in, right? I mean, those are, those are the really bad ones. And then the ones over here are the ones that I just wrestle with. And the ones over here are the ones that God doesn't really care about. And those are just, we all do that. The reality is sin, even though there's, there's horrific degrees of it, is all sin. It's all broken relationship with God. It's all disobedience. So when you are letting worry, if you're sitting here this morning and there is something that has captured your heart and you are worrying, you are not trusting God, you are living in disobedience as sin, and so recognize it as that. Recognize what you're fighting. It's not cute. It's not sad. It's not something you just have to get over. It is breaking God's heart that you don't trust him enough with your whole life. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything about anything. Now think about who he's talking to. Paul's talking to the Philippians. They're living in poverty. They're living in extreme persecution. They're living in a broken, divided relationship. And he's looking at these folks saying, you people, don't worry. Of all the people in the world that have something to worry about, it's probably the Philippians. Each day is a day they may have kind of have to face their maker because of their belief in Christ. And not only that, Imagine carrying around the burden of knowing that my belief in Christ may cost my family their freedom. We met people like this in China. As a father who became a Christian, raising his household in the Christian faith, recognizing that he was discovered it could cost his family their freedom or their lives. That's something to worry about. Paul's saying to the Philippians, you people who have things to worry about, don't be anxious. Don't be of spiritually divided mind. Don't live in disobedience. Trust that God is who he says he is. So we've got that first call. Don't be anxious about anything. Paul moves on to a second one and he says, but present your requests to God. Now there's a bunch of qualifiers on this one that I want you to see. So we've got these two calls. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. And present your request to God. But there's some qualifiers that I want you to understand. The first one is that word, but says, do not be anxious about anything but, which when used that way, is a connect, it's not a connector, it's an exchange word. It's a replacement word. So Paul's saying, basically, instead of worrying and being anxious about all these things, right, replace that by seeking, petitioning, presenting your request to the Lord through prayer, which we're going to explain in a minute. But I want you to understand the, the dichotomy that's happening. He's saying, reverse these things. Instead of being anxious with anything, Go before the Lord with everything. You want to talk about a principle for your life. Instead of letting things in your life worry and cause anxiety, take, don't let anything do that. Instead, take everything before the Lord. Everything. No matter what it is, I'm not going to worry about anything because I'm taking everything before the Lord. Paul's basically saying, you who have so much to worry about, and there are things to worry about, take all of those things. Don't let them cause you anxiety and present every single one of your requests to the Lord. 
It's an exchange. The first qualifier about presenting a request to God is that it's an exchange for your lack of trust. Present them to God. But he puts a couple other things out there that I want you to pay attention to. The first is that idea of by prayer and petition. So we exchange this truth of of petitioning the Lord, of presenting these things to the Lord with the lie of anxiety and worry. So we exchange that. And Paul says, do it by this way, by prayer and petition. Now, these are connected, and they're two very different things. Oftentimes, we think that prayer is the sort of petition, like what we just did. We engage in a a prayer life where we take some things to the Lord, and I give him a list of all the things that I need. That's my prayer life. I've got a prayer journal. I write down all the things that I have, and I sit down with the Lord, and I give them that list, and that is my prayer life. Prayer is me going before the Lord. Really, if you want to get technical, prayer is, is not that. Prayer is a deep sense of worship and relationship kind of connection with God. It may or may not involve you giving God requests. It may just be sitting in his presence. Prayer is not a one-way pipeline by which we discharge all the things that we need. Scripture points to the fact that prayer is this moment where we are with God. There was a a 19th century Norwegian uh, theologian named O'Hallisby, and he kind of defines prayer this way. He says that, that prayer is the breath of the soul the organ by which our parched and withered hearts receive Christ. And I love that picture because it paints a sort of intimacy and relationship. Prayer is that breath, that life of our soul. It's not a one-way discourse by which we give God all the things that we need, but prayer is that move of relationship. So he says, by prayer, by deep relationship. This is how we present things to God, by deep relationship. And then he says, and petition. So we have this deep relationship with God that's built on on trust and love and rescue. And in that relationship, we petition God. Now, petition is a really bad translation of that word. The Greek word there is deasis, and it really just means seek and um, ask. That's all it means, seek and ask. But the the word petition that I use in that translation kind of gives a connotation of, I just keep pestering until I get what I want, right? When we petition someone, we ask over and over and over and over and over again until you give in. Or we get enough signatures and you give me what I want. Really, that's not what that word means. It just means that in the moment of that prayer and that deep relationship and that breath of our soul kind of connection to God, in that deep moment of worship, we seek and ask God. And this is what Paul's saying to the Philippians. He's saying, instead of all that anxiety and worry and fear that is building up in your heart, exchange that lie for the deep relationship with God that says, God, in those moments, I want to seek you and ask you. This is what he's telling the Philippians. He's saying this is truth, relationship with God that's built on life and breath. That's where we seek and ask God. Exchange that for the lie that says worry and control and fight and be fearful and live in disobedience and unbelief. And then he has that last qualifier that says, with thanksgiving. And we talked a lot about this last week, so I won't spend too much time here when we talked about rejoicing. So by prayer and petition, right? So in that deep relationship of breath and life through seeking and asking God, in that moment, with thanksgiving. Now, the life of the Philippians doesn't look like one that's be very thankful, at least from my kind of glances, it doesn't. Very difficult time, very small group of believers, very fearful. There's not a whole lot of Christians in town. You are it. Every day might be the day that you lose your life. You're living in poverty. And not only that, your relationship with people is broken. These two women have caused a division in the church and it struggles. And they're fighting and it's, 
It's an issue and everybody knows about it. And this is not what the brochure looked like as we talked about last week. Paul's saying, in the middle of that, be thankful. It's not that your problems aren't real. It's not that your struggles aren't real. It's not that your hurts aren't real. It's not that those things aren't real. It's in the middle of that, you have Jesus. That he is bigger than all of it. Bigger than all of it. God is bigger than all the sort of sum total of your struggles and fears. And that even in the middle of life where life is hard, we win because we have Jesus. That's what he's saying. So be thankful. So don't be anxious about anything. Present your requests to God. Prayer petition with thanksgiving. So if you take all of these together, I'm going to try and wrap this up real quickly. Take all these things together that we looked at the past two weeks. Cultivate a life of joy. Live gently. Don't be anxious, right? But present your request to God. Deep breath of relationship, knowing God, spending time with God, seeking and asking God. In the middle of those things, Paul says, this then is what happens. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when we do these things, when we live these out, this sort of joy and gentleness and living without the anxiety or exchanging that for the the sort of truth of God by petitioning through this life of deep prayer, seeking and asking, when we live that way, what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. I love that picture of transcending all understanding because you know what that means? That means that what should make sense doesn't. Because have you ever been in a place in your life where things were collapsing, were difficult, were hard, were sort of falling apart, and everything should point to sheer panic or sheer fear, but somehow God's presence swept over you and you just knew it was all going to be okay? Not all okay in terms of working out perfectly like you want it, but all okay. That's the peace of God. When the world around you said, you should be crippled with fear right now, and God comes in and he says, I love you. I'm not going to leave you. That's the peace of God, and it transcends all understanding, meaning it doesn't make sense to the world. Notice what God, or what Paul says won't happen. God will make your wildest dreams come true, and all your answers will be coming in the way that you want them to come. When I do these things, God will then hear my requests, and he will change all the circumstances and outcomes. He doesn't say that at all. He says, instead, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and minds. Outside the promise of salvation in Christ, I believe this is the ultimate promise of Scripture. That in the middle of chaos, God's promise is that he will guard my heart and mind. He will protect me from the lie of the enemy and the lie of the world. You know what the outcome is from living these commands? It's not the superhero Christian life. It's God's peace and his protection. Think about yourself if you were in the shoes of the Philippians. You're gathered in a small huddle of believers. You've risked your life and the entire life of your family. You've given everything up. You're living in a state of poverty. And you're living in a state of some broken relationship. And life is really hard. And you're afraid. And Paul comes in and says, listen, be joyful. Be gentle to each other. Don't live in anxiety, but seek God instead. And when you do that, guess what's going to happen? God's not going to fix everything. But he's going to give you a peace that goes beyond your understanding. And he will guard you from the lie of the world. To me, that is the most incredible picture in all of Scripture. That in the middle of life, God's promise isn't to fix everything the way that you want it to be fixed, but His promise is to give you a peace and guard your heart. The thing that we've got to wrestle with is, is that enough for me? It should be, 
But if we're real honest, it very rarely is. We want answers to our problems now. I don't want peace. I want a job. I don't want peace. I want you to take care of my bills. I don't want peace. I want a husband. I want this. I want a girl. I want whatever it is. God, give me. And God says, no, listen. What I'll give you is my peace, and it will change everything. And then I will guard you from the lie of the world that says live in fear. Because at the end of the day, we're in anxiety is a reflection of fear, disobedience, and unbelief. What is it this morning that has captured your heart and is keeping you from the peace that transcends all understanding? As we get ready to close our time in worship, what I want you to do is ask yourself that, God, that question, God, what am, I, what am I not letting go of? What am I so afraid of? What am I holding on to? What's that little worry? Is it Am I worried about my children, my family, my life, my job, my circumstance, whatever? Whatever it is I'm not trusting you with, God, break that of me. Because your promise is not to fix it the way I want to fix it, but to give me a peace which surpasses all of my understanding. And that is where I want to live. Let's pray.